Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Heavy Branches. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we're very excited to get diving into Luke chapter 16 with you today. But before we do that, Tanner, how's your week been? My week's been, you know, decent uh, for the most part. Um, spent a lot of the week working on homework. Um, had a little bit of a unfortunate scare early in the week because my grandma fell. Um, but she's now through surgery and... Uh, it should be starting a rehab process in the next couple of days. So we're kind of on the, the better side of, of things with that, which is good. Uh, she's got a long, long road ahead of her, but um, with a little bit of a rougher start to the week, we're glad we're, we are where we are um, with that. So yeah. how about you? How was your week? It's been all right. Uh, it's finals week, so been busy with school stuff. I know you said you've been doing homework this week. How's it, how's it been getting back into the the groove of doing homework again? Um, what well, I I don't even feel like I've really started yet. I've been doing a lot more thinking than I have been doing actually like writing yeah. or anything. Um, just brainstorming like what to write your sermons and research paper on. You mean yeah, the brainstorming is always fun for me as like for sermons and stuff. So I actually, you know, just a couple of days after class had my, had my three sermon outlines it's in, my, f- it's, in my mind. I think it's four. four. I keep saying three, but it's four and I have four. I don't know. I keep saying three. Um, but I had those pretty quick, but then, um, still doing a lot of other thinking for the other stuff. So, yeah, I've been enjoying going through the, Case for a Creator, yeah, which is one of the books we have to do for a book report for that Origins class we've talked about a few times, and it's on Spotify, so I've just been kind of listening to it while I work and do delivery stuff with Chick-fil-A, and it's been nice having that as an option to kind of knock out homework while I'm working. Yeah, I, I don't know. I That's a, something cool and important to mention. Um, some of you are listeners on Spotify. Some of you listen to other platforms, but... Uh, Spotify has recently added something really cool where you can listen to books on audiobooks. Some of them you have to pay for, but a lot of them are free. Like if you have premium, you can do that. Yeah, if you have the premium thing. So if you're listening on Spotify Premium, or if you you know are interested in something like that, like um, all of a lot of Lee Strobel stuff, the Case for Creator, the Case for Christ, uh, a lot of those books are free with Spotify Premium. Um, just another reason it's better than Apple Music, but you know we there don't have go. to get into that <laughs> argument right now. <laughs> well, that's one we'd agree on. So, um, but but the rest of your week okay or yeah, uh, just been focusing on school stuff really, and not a whole lot sh- a lot else exciting. So yeah, um, we want to remind you to mark your calendar. Um, first of all, remember that the birth of Jesus is on December 25th. Not everybody <laughs> might agree with you on that. <laughs> no, uh, probably not. <laughs> I, not the actual date, obviously. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but I just figured I'd throw that in there as a, a slight joke. But anyway, uh, the LBC semester, again, starts on January 15th, and you know if you're interested in you know, learning more about the school, or if you want to know when the modules are for next semester, talk to one of us or uh, call the school, go to the website. You can find some information there. All those are options. Um, now, I thought just quickly of a little icebreaker for this week. Knowing what Jacob's response was going to be, I thought it would be funny. But our icebreaker for this week, and we hope you'll comment uh, what your favorite Christmas song is, but that's our that's our icebreaker. What is your favorite Christmas song? My favorite Christmas song, man. You picked this just just to throw me under the bus, didn't you? I I picked this because I knew your response would be funny. <laughs> well, For some, some people may just call you a Grinch. But well, I know <laughs> there's probably some people listening to this that I already know I'm going to say, especially if any of my family is listening. Particularly my mom and my and my sister, <laughs> but I I don't really like Christmas music. I gotta be honest. Like it doesn't matter if it's 
Christmas music that we sing in church or if it's Christmas music that you hear on the radio that's not even about Jesus and just is about Santa Claus or whatever Christmas music is about. I don't know. I don't really like any of it. Call me a Grinch. Call me whatever, but I think it's overrated. That's that's my hot take, and I, I know no one will probably agree with me on that, but <laughs> I, I genuinely sat there and thought thought about this. I was trying to find at least one Christmas song that I, I could tolerate. And when I say that, I guess I should probably clarify that, like, when we're, it's a Sunday morning gathering and we're worshiping at the church building, and when we're singing Christmas hymns, I, I still feel like I can worship with that and yeah, and yeah. glorify God, and I don't have a problem with doing that at church. I just, if I, I'm in leisure time, that I, that's just never something I will turn on to listen to <laughs> is Christmas music. But the one Christmas song that I think I can tolerate a little more than the rest is Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. I don't even know if that's the name of the song, but that's what one of the lines says. I think that's right. It's in my favorite Christmas movie, which is Home Alone 2. Yeah. And it, when it comes in the movie, if I remember right, is... Uh, what's the little boy's name? Is it Kevin? Kevin. So Kevin is inside, and he's... Tr- the two robbers are, like, looking at the house, trying to figure out if they can rob it or not. And so, and Kevin knows us, and he's trying to make it look they're look like they're having a party in there. Mm-hmm. And I remember he has this this like life size cutout of Michael Jordan, and somehow he's got it moving across the living room, and so yeah. they can see the shadow in the window. And during that scene, they're playing the song "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree," and that one's that one's kind of got a, a nice beat and rhythm to it. I like that one a little bit, but yeah. Other than that, I'm not a big Christmas music fan, so. Well, I asked you. Uh, I'll go ahead and say my, my f- I I have a lot of favorite Christmas songs. Um, I know Jason Anderson always does those polls on Facebook every year, and oh, I, does he, he haven't seen those? He he always does like which Christmas song is better. Um, I don't know if he's ever thrown this one in there, but one of my favorites is "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." Um, for years, one of my favorite names or titles for God has been Emmanuel, God with us. Um, that just means a lot. And then if you want to know, I guess a secular Christmas song that I like is wonderful Christmas. Cause I just think the music behind it sounds cool. Um, but like I said, I, I knew that would be funny for some because you just don't <laughs> like Christmas music. I like Christmas time. Like I enjoy the family gatherings that come with Christmas, and obviously I enjoy celebrating the reason for Christmas, and I don't love the weather come Christmas time, but, like, I'm not really a Grinch with anything Christmas other than the music, or I guess if you want to say I'm a big proponent of waiting until after Thanksgiving to put up Christmas decorations, so if you you want to call me a Grinch for that, you can, but (laughs) that's really the only part of Christmas that I could be accused of being a Grinch for, but it is true. I, I don't like really any Christmas music, so... Well, and my mom and my sister love it, and I'm yeah. not convinced. Don't secretly listen to it all year round and not tell anybody, <laughs> which is why I said they would disagree with me. But well, they would be right up there with Jason Anderson because he listens to it all year round. Does he really? Oh yeah, it's horrible. If you don't know Jason, he's one of the professors <laughs> at at LBC. I remember walking into school like the semester had just started. I think the fall semester, and he was. Jam into the Christmas music while he was working. I was I like, went what into his is office going and turned it on? off. <laughs> All right. Uh, we want to remind you, please read uh, along with us. We're in Luke chapter 16 this week. We're excited to dive in with you guys. Luke 16 has 31 verses. We're really cutting it down. Yeah. He, he you know, whoever, whoever decided to slice the book up, you know, <laughs> for some reason had a weird obsession with like 55 first long chapters and then decided to cut the last back. couple of weeks have been low 30s yeah um but we're down in we're we're 31 verses the chapter title for this week that we kind of worked on this one together this week so i won't i won't uh, say that it was my chapter title but our chapter title for this week is life investment and as we go through it you'll kind of get the picture of why that is why we called it that so let's hop into our key thoughts. Um, what's interesting, you know, this happens from time to time, but this is one of those cases where to get the context, you really need to make sure that you are that you read chapters 15 and then 16 
because the the first two verses of 15 kind of explain to us why Jesus is saying the things that he's saying in verse 16. So just to start us off, I'd like to read again verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, which says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners and the sinners were coming near near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So then if you remember, last week Jesus tells three different accounts. The first one is uh, a parable, then the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. And all of them have to do with the lost being found and the importance of of the lost and and how diligently the lost should be should be sought out by by Jesus himself as he's doing as he's do, fulfilling his mission of seeking and saving the lost but also for us as faithful followers and believers in him and then he's teaching the Pharisees a lesson of the importance of an individual's life as opposed to um the things of this world and and pride and all of these things that the Pharisees were struggling with. And then he continues this going into chapter 16. So let's dive in here to chapter 16. There's really two accounts in this whole chapter. It's kind of two different things, two, two different big key, key thought, key things in this chapter. You know, normally we have several, but, as you read the chapter, you'll see it's kind of split into two things. The first thing Jesus says is to the disciples. The second thing is to the Pharisees in, in response to the Pharisees. The first, I, I really like how Mark Moore put it in his, uh, what is it, Chronological Chron- Life of the, Christ. The Chronological Life of Christ is the uh, name of the commentary. It's a, a commentary on the Gospels, and it, it's very good, but I like the way he he described these two things. It's the first one. He said, "It's how do you how to use your money to get to heaven," and then the second one was how to use your money to get to hell. <laughs> and uh, so we're not you're not going to start talking about buying indulgences, are you? <laughs> no, not buying indulgences. <laughs> but uh, I did I did find it. Um, yeah, that is a, that is an interesting way to think about money. An interesting way to describe these passages. So let's hop into the first account. You'll kind of see that it's verses 1 through 13 is this first account that Jesus is is sharing. And you'll notice in the first verse it says specifically, now he was also saying to the disciples. So, so he's addressing this section to the disciples, whereas 15 was more addressed to the Pharisees. Yeah. The, yeah. So now he's talking to the disciples Um There's some debate back and forth. Uh, I think this is more of a conviction for yourself. There's some debate on whether this is a parable or this is a um, an account, an actual account that happened. Yeah, I'm going to refer to it as an account uh, during the podcast. Both of these instances, um, but like I said, that's kind of for you all to decide. As we go through this, as we kind of already stated, a lot of this is Jesus is talking about money a lot. In this first one, um, this owner hires a manager to manage some of his money, some of his um, possessions, and he begins to be dishonest with some of it and kind of try and hold back some of it for himself and and someone tells on him the manager's going to fire him but he has this short time period between when he's told he's going to get fired and when he's actually going to lose his job for him to do something and make a decision quickly and the way that the passage describes him is it says that he acted shrewdly and this actually in, impressed the high hiree, the manager, the guy that was in charge of him that hired him. It impressed him, and Jesus goes on to say, "I'm going to pick up in verses verse ten and just read what he says following 
that information. He says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, at first glance, it might seem like Jesus is condoning the wrong that the the hired manager that the rich man hires, the manager that he hires, it, it almost seems like Jesus may be condoning the actions of the man, but Jesus uses, we, what we see here is Jesus is using a bad action from a bad person to make a point for us, those of us that are walking in the light. And let me give you an example. Say you are trying to teach a child that he should be nice to his sister. Okay, uh, a son. Te- say you're trying to teach your son that he sh- that he should be nice to his sister, and you bring up the example of, you know, that mean boy Billy is nice to his little sister. So, how much? How much more should you? How be much nice? more should you be nice than the mean boy Billy up the road? Right. Kind of that idea, and we see that here, as we're learning from this is, this this manager that was deceitful, that was squandering uh, the possessions of the rich man for himself, you know, is like the mean boy up the road. And he did all this, but then in that short time that he had, he was shrewd. And I believe you looked up the definition of shrewd earlier and we're saying kind of what that means. Yeah, um trying to remember what it said this was a while ago I'm just gonna, let me just grab my phone while you do that um, the point is Jesus does not condemn the man's dishonesty or his wastefulness or his laziness or his pride or all of these things that would be we would typically see Jesus condemn he's not commending that that's the word I meant to use originally he's not commending that what he is commending is is this guy's utilization of the short time and temporary power that he had to make preparation for the future. So that short time when he's told he's going to be fired, and then he acts shrewdly before being fired to make preparation from the future, that is what Jesus is commending, his his shrewd action in that short time. So the definition that came up for shrewd, I wanted to, to get this right word for word because I, I thought it was good and it was just the first one that came up on safari when i looked it up on my phone but it says having or showing sharp powers of judgment and that's not judgment in the sense of looking down on someone else because they did something you don't like but it's more of your ability to judge the situation around you and and make a decision quickly and sharply so this man knew, okay, I'm about to be fired, and I'm going to be left with nothing. So let me act quickly. Let me act shrewdly and, and make good with the, with the rich man's, with the, peop, with the people that owed the rich man, so that when the rich man fires me, I'm going to be on good terms with all of these people that I've helped right before. And that's why it impressed the, it even impressed the rich man, the guy who hired him, even though he had squandered all these possessions. He he now was, even though he was going to be fired, looked at uh, positively. He used the position of life that he was in to ensure a better future for himself. So the question is, how do we apply that to us? What what is he trying to teach the disciples here? Is he trying to teach them? Okay, you should live your life. 
squandering money and then in your last <laughs> moments, you know, figure out how, how how to get out of that. No, that's not what he's teaching. The disciples and we are encouraged in verses 10 through 13 to use our current time or power, a.k.a. our, AKA our lives, our current lives, to invest in it in eternal things. So let's think about the let's let's compare the compare the 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 account to our own lives. This man gets hired, he's he is dishonest with the money, and then he finds out you know he's only got a short time and then he acts quickly. Similarly, similar, similarly, wow. Similarly, God has given each of us life. And then we, we ruin that life with our sin. We ruin that position, that power, that time that we've been given with sin. But then when the gospel, when the gospel comes into our life, we're given this time we realize in Jesus, okay, really this time is short. There's there's things that are important that have to be done, and we need to shrewdly go after those things, and by doing that, we are investing in eternal things. Yeah. So how do we invest in eternal things? Uh, you know, that reminds me of an illustration I saw a preacher use one time. Uh, some, of, some of you might know him, Francis Chan. Um, he had this this really long rope, and it was probably fifty or sixty feet long. And so he had it up. He's preaching from a stage, and so he was kind of holding it out in front of him with his hands like this. If you're looking at the video, you can see me, but I'm just holding my arms out. So he had it out, kind of showing the people he was preaching to, and then a bunch of it was down, kind of next to him on the ground, just in a big circle, spooled up. And so you could tell the rope was really long. And this little like two inch section on one end of the rope was red it yeah. like had red tape around it or it was painted red or, or somehow it was red but and so he he showed the people he was preaching to this little red part and he said this tiny little red section on this rope that's 50 or 60 feet long can represent your time on earth in light of eternity and, and he said even though this rope is 50 or 60 feet long that's so that's so much longer than this little red section but eternity is even really longer than that in fact, it would be like imagining this rope had no end on the other side. It had this beginning side that I'm holding in my hand with this red part, but the other end of it, it just never ends. And so if this red part is our time on earth, what we need to think about is not only is our time on earth so short compared to the rest of the rope, to the rest of the timeline of the universe, but it is what we do with our lives in this small little red part that determines the whole, the entire rest of the rope. Yeah. And I thought that was a really powerful way to, to show and illustrate just how important it is for us to be shrewd with our time that we have, because we have a very, very short time to make decisions and live our lives. And whatever we do with the short time that we have is going to impact the rest of the rope for us. And and we've been given the gospel, this this power in our life to 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 use to make that investment in eternal things. And the way we do that is first of all we invest in God. We invest in Jesus so that when our life here is gone, we have a place with him. It's 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 really if you want to look at it big picture, it's investing in Jesus. It's investing in who He is and the promises that He's made. And then that isn't all that goes with that. The other part of it is you're not just investing in God, but you're investing in people, the people around you. So you invest in others so that they can prepare for their future too, so that they can make the same investment. I saw a, a, a post on Facebook this week that, that makes me think of this, of what you're talking about here. And it was like a parenting post. 
and it said, uh, this isn't going to be an exact quote, but something along the lines of, parents, um, if your kids get through high school and have a 4.0 GPA and get through college and have a 4.0 GPA and get the job of their dreams that they've always always wanted and meet the spouse of their of their dreams that you've always prayed that they would have and have a beautiful family that you enjoy many memories with and their kids do all these great things but they'd never met Jesus you never got them to Christ then all of those other things don't matter at all yeah and and I think that really puts it into perspective on what it means to use the life that we've been given to invest in eternal things because I think most of the people listening to this would would agree and say amen to that. Yeah, we ought to use our life to invest in eternal things, but that's one of the things I find in the Christian life that's a lot easier said than done is how many times do we, we go through a whole week and it just feels like every day is the same. You know, we, we get up and go to work and spend most of the day at work and come home and, you know, have our dinner and have a couple hours in the evening to relax and watch TV or do whatever you like to do and then go to bed and on to the next thing you go back to work and do the same thing and it's just the days just seem to flow by and and but we haven't done anything to invest in an eternal future we've just been kind of going through the motions of our day I know I know that happens to me a lot maybe I'm 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 the weirdo, the odd one out that no one else has that problem, but that's certainly something that that I fall into a lot is I'll go through a whole day and and a whole week and haven't invested any of my time or any of my um priority of of what I'm doing in the day to invest in things that have eternal significance. Whether that's my own relationship with Christ or or doing something to help others with that. So I think it's something we've we've really got to be intentional about and and spend some time not just thinking and pondering about but but really intentionally decide okay today or this week or this month I need to to set these goals and do these things so that I am investing in 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 eternal things and not just wasting my life away with with earthly things that once the red part of the rope is over aren't going to mean anything. Yeah, our culture has greatly skewed what we deem as success, and we've kind of talked about this before. But, I mean, it's to the point that we question we question what God has in store for our lives and the things that we consider are what God wants us to do with our lives is like, we can think, oh, well, God made me to play basketball. But, or God made me to be a musician. Maybe he gave you that talent, but that is not what God made you for, and that is not, like, your primary task as a human being on earth. Our primary task is to invest in him and invest in other people with the message of the gospel. Now, if you can do that well through the avenues of talent that you've been blessed with, then by all means, that's then go for it. But don't confuse don't confuse the what the world says is success with what the scriptures say is good and right. And we we do that we do that so much, and you know it goes back to what Jacob was just saying. We we celebrate a 4.0 in high school, but biblically our children are illiterate. <laughs> they they can read, they can barely sit in a Sunday school class or a, or a Wednesday night youth group. They barely read their Bible on their own. And I'm I'm not saying this is everybody, but I would I would feel right in saying a majority it was me when i was a kid and i mean it was me too and i know so many that are in that state and i was raised in a in a home where anytime the church doors were open i I was there whether i liked it or not and i still was that way 
and you know, I'm just married. I'm not a father yet. Jacob's not a father yet, but, and I'm not sitting here claiming that I'm going to be the best parent ever, but I, that, that's part of the reason, that's part of the thing that scares me so much about being a, fa- a father is I don't want to get blinded by the culture of what everybody else in the world says is right and successful for my children. I want them to be successful in, in biblical things, in eternal things. And I, I hope and I pray and what I'm, what I'm hoping but the future me, the father me strives for is to guide my kids to want to store up eternal things. And I hope that future me invests in them in that way. Yeah, I I'm completely, completely agree, man. I'm on the same page with you. Again, I, it's, it, it's a lot easier said than done, though doing that and so I think something we all need to think about is is how can I be intentional with this because if we just think yeah that's a something I ought to prioritize but then we never I'm saying this from experience but we we never change anything about our lives we just think oh yeah that's that's probably something I should be prioritizing but we never go much past that and actually planning on how to do it we're gonna just keep falling back into that cycle of Every day you just get up and go to work and come home and just go through the motions, and it's going to be the same over and over again. So, as you can see, this is a little more about this is a little more than just about money. The money is just an example of something in life that we can be blinded by, and it and allow it to control us and distract us from what's really important. The point is. How do we use our lives for the right reasons? For the reason that God originally created us for and not be, not, and, and, and be shrewd with the gospel message and the things that he's given us to come out of that life of sin that we were in. And then that kind of leads into the next section, which it, you know, a lot of Bibles probably cut the section at verse 19, but really it starts back at verse 14 when it says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. That's that's really where the section starts. That's what sparks the rest of the chapter, including the the account with the rich man and Lazarus. This This account... More, more likely than even the other accounts, is real. Is this probably this actually probably actually happened? And absolutely. The reasoning behind this, one of the main reasons, is that in all of Jesus's other parables, he doesn't use real names, names of actual people. Yeah. But in this one, he refers to Lazarus and he refers to Abraham. Um, which he doesn't do in his other parables. So that that's a that's that definitely not that anything Jesus teaches isn't important, but I think that adds another level to this. Like this is something that actually happened. This isn't just an analogy. When we can lo- we can learn some things about the afterlife here that we wouldn't really be able to say for sure happened if this was a parable. Yeah, yeah. Um. Before we dive into that part, though, there's a couple things I want to hit on regarding verses 14 through 18. It really makes me think of what what Paul wrote to Timothy. And I'm going to pull that up, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he says, For the love of money, which you all have probably heard this for, before, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This, this is one of those verses that is up there with some of the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. Hmm. I'm sure you all have heard it. Money is the root of all evil. That misses two major things. 
First of all, the scripture says the love of money. And second, it's not all evil. It's all sorts of evil. It's all kinds of evil, not all evil. So money isn't the cause of all evil. First, and it's not money. It's the the love love of. So, you know, we need to be very cognizant of that reality. It's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Adding or taking away one word or one phrase from a sentence can really change the meaning. So we've got to be careful when we're quoting. So we can kind of think about that as, as Jesus, as we look at what Jesus is saying here. But notice it says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money. That's interesting. I, I don't know if the scriptures say that any other time specifically that the Pharisees were lovers of money, but you can kind of see why the Pharisees are so upset at different times because of that statement. Um, so there are a lot of things to speak on regarding this account, but the Pharisees' love of money, what that did is it led to four practical realities. Four things happened because of their love of money, and remember that verse, for the love, the, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Okay, all sorts of evil comes out from the Pharisees because of their love of money. The first thing in verse 15, when you read that, you'll see that the first evil, the f- first evil that the money, the love of money causes is they valued things that God hates. They... They didn't love things that God loved. They didn't focus on righteous, good things. They valued things that God hates. Second thing we notice in verse 16 is they attempt, they attempted to violently overtake God's kingdom. So it wasn't just that they, that they valued things that God hates, but because of their, their money lust, their love of money, they wanted power, they wanted control of God's kingdom, instead of allowing God to be the king of his kingdom. Then verse 17, you'll see that because of their love of money and their, their own self-interest, their, their financial interests, they pushed aside the word of God for the, at times for the sake of their own financial interest. Instead of you know doing what was right, doing meeting the heart of the commands as we've mentioned over and over again, they would maybe push that aside so that they would keep their money or not give as much money as they should have or hold on to some money um, that wasn't theirs that should that they shouldn't have in the first place. And then the the fourth thing that the love of money caused this one, may be a little confusing when you first read it, but the fourth thing is they would divorce their wives. And there's several reasons why people, that they would have done that. You know, the first reason might be they have all this money, and because they have all this money, they feel they're set up for life, and they don't need her anymore. And they, um, you know, they think, okay, because I have all this money, I can go get a prettier wife or something like that. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's the reality of what the love of money can do to a person. And then the other part of that is maybe their love of money is their wife wasn't allowing them to bring in as much money, so they divorced their wife and tried to find one that would help them bring in more money. So, so you know, there's there's different ways to look at that, but the, the, the big picture is that their love of money in some way was causing them was leading them to do the evil thing of divorcing their wife for a reason that is outside of that which God makes allowance for. Um, so, you know, what, what Paul wrote holds true. The love of money for the Pharisees was, was led to all sorts of evil. The love of money has certainly... Um, kept a lot of people so busy for living for the things of this world that they have failed to be shrewd with their time, as we've talked about, and and store up treasures for heaven. Yeah, they've stored up treasures here. And what Jesus does 
is he goes from calling them out for these things to telling them an account of a rich man who stored up treasures here on earth and what happened to him because he stored up treasures here instead of it storing up treasures uh, for eternal things. Right. And that's what brings us to this account of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, so the rich man, he, oftentimes dressed in purple, is is one of those things that is very a very definitive or descriptive thing for a person that had wealth or was a king. Um, he had lots of splendor, and then you have Lazarus, who was a poor man. He had boils. You know, it, it was he was so festered with boils that the the it wasn't it wasn't these nice dogs like these nice neighborhood dogs like the dogs that you maybe have pets of that you know come up and you know lick your lick your face no these are like savage dogs that lived in the area and would come up and nip at him nip at his flesh um lick lick at his boils you know he was he Lazarus was living a rough life um and uh the the rich man had nothing to do with him and what we see here is the assumption is Lazarus was a man of faith because he ends up in paradise the rich man was selfish he he stored up treasures here on earth and he finds himself in in Hades or being in torment is how it's worded in verse 23. They both were in Hades, yes. which is just the abode of the dead. Yes. But Lazarus was on the paradise side, whereas the rich man was on the, the suffering side. And we'll, we'll see that more as we, we get through the, the end of this chapter. Yeah, and you, you see that really defined in verse 23 where it says being in torment when he's referring to to the rich man, and then he speaks to Lazarus being in Abraham's bosom or paradise. Um, and once they're in paradise, Lazarus, sorry, the rich man looks across the cavern and sees Lazarus and Abraham, and he's he's asking for relief from the agony that he's in, and Abraham's like, no. And, <laughs> and then... Um, he asks Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead so that he can go tell his brothers. And Abraham explains, you know, they have all, they have Moses and the prophets. They should be able to make that decision from that. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that can be talked about from that, from this, this account. Where where do you kind of want to start with it? So I'll I'll start with asking you a question that um, I ponder a lot, and especially when I come to this passage of scripture, and it's probably a question many of you listening have have pondered as well. If you knew that tomorrow was going to be your last day, what would you do? And I know I'm really putting you on the spot here, so maybe take a second to think about it. But if you knew that tomorrow was going to be your last day, what would you do? What would you spend your time doing? I wouldn't sleep. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, and I should be doing this anyway. I think anybody that you ask this question to, I think we should probably ask this question to ourselves every day. But I think there would be some people in my family that I would be going to talk to. Yeah. Um, that I have some major concerns about. So the reason I ask this is because even though it's not directly asked here in this account, we see through through words spoken how the rich man would have answered that question. Because we, we see him ask um, Lazarus and Abraham if he could go back 
and do a couple of things, or if he could change a couple of things. So let's let's see what he says here. Uh, I'll read a, a bit of the section here. Uh, let's pick up in verse uh, 23. So it says, And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, and again this is the rich man lifting up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. So the first way the rich man would have answered this question was, what would I do if I had one more day? <laughs> he would do something to make sure he's not in the agony of being in that flame. Because the, the, the very first thing that was on his that we see was on his mind when he's in torment is that he wants mercy. He wants even just a, a tiny dip of water to cool off his tongue. And, and you know, a lot, a lot of people say, doubt if hell is a real place and if people that aren't Christians really suffer in the afterlife or if they're just in, in darkness and nothingness or some people think uh, what's called uh, annihilationism where they're just annihilated in the snap of a finger and they suffer really intensely for a few moments and then they're just gone. But we see here that the rich man is in so much torment that his first the first statement out of his mouth is a plea for mercy so much so to where he just wants a little dip of water from from the finger of Lazarus to cool off his tongue so what would have he done different if he knew his last day well first he would have made sure he wasn't in the suffering part of Hades but that's not all he would have wished for. Let's keep going. Pick up in verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he's being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. So Abraham's telling him here, Look, you had your chance, but you filled your life with enjoying your earthly blessings and never prepared for yourself um, anything to do with eternity. And and once you're there, once you've passed away and you're on that, that side of Hades, you can't cross the great chasm, is what Abraham's saying here. So so then what, is, what does the rich man say back? Verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him, him being Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So the rich man figures out, okay, I can't do anything about getting mercy for myself to get out of this place of torment and back to the other side. And if I can't do anything for myself, the very next thing that comes to his mind is the people he cares about the most, his five brothers. He wants Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers to warn them so that they don't go to that place of torment too. And what did Abraham say? Verse 29, but Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And they would witness someone rise from the dead. Not too long after this, another Lazarus, who's a different Lazarus than in this story, but also Jesus. And so what would have the rich man did if he knew of his last day, knew when it was coming? Well, he would have made sure he wasn't in torment. But I bet you he also would have made sure his brothers weren't either. So there are many different things to glean from this. I, I love this account in Luke 16. There, there We learn so much about the afterlife. Uh, we learn so much about how important it is to make sure our eternity is secure. And we also learn a little bit about 
well, what someone who's who's passed on from this life would have done if they knew of their last day. And we can learn that from seeing kind of how he talks with Abraham here and, and reasons with him on what he wished he could have done if he wasn't already fixed in the place of torment. That's something for us all to, to ponder on. So, I think a lot of people get confused by some of the statements about the rich in the Bible. This account, the statement that Jesus makes about it being harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to enter the eye of a needle. Right. Um, we, We spoke on what the camel through the eye of a needle actually means a couple podcasts ago, but I'll just remind everybody that it's not talking about a pinpoint like sewing needle back in this time. There would have been these large gates that would have been opened up, but there were times where the large gate couldn't be opened up. So there was a small door in the gate that would be opened for people. And at times the camel would have to shed everything that it was carrying and get down on its knees and go through that door. That door was called a needle. So it's not impossible for the camel to get through there, but it has to shed all of its burden, all the things that it's carrying in for a person that would, that would resemble shedding pride, shedding burdens, all of these things to fit in. And that's hard for a rich man to do. So it's not because... The, this rich man is rich that he's in hate, that he's in the place of torment. It's hard, it's hard because he is wealthy and has all these things. And when you have all these things, you're it's very easy to to be deceived by worldly things. It can be a lot harder to see your need for God if you have no problems in this life with anything. I mean. let's face it, being wealthy doesn't solve every problem in life, but there's a lot of problems that people face that have a lot to do with not having enough money to to pay the bills and and things like that. It's more difficult to admit the need for Jesus when you have wealth and and can live comfortably. I mean, that is is possibly the greatest um, lie in the world is comfortability. Comfortability. I'm in trouble getting some words out. Um, the point is, it's not because he's rich, but it is because he how it is because of how he chose to live his life. And he's pointing at the Pharisees and saying, "The way you are choosing to live your life, the way you're choosing to spend your money, the way you're choosing to treat other people, the way you're choosing to reject me." The way you're choosing to judge these sinners and these tax collectors instead of guiding them towards the gospel, you're judging, you're judging them and outcasting them. All of those things, you are storing treasure here upon earth and you are disregarding the eternal things. You are living your life in such a way that is sinful and deserving of punishment. We learn a lot here about how agonizing the place of torment is. And that's just the temporary hell-ish, not hell, but hell-ish side of Hades. What's to come is much worse. The lake of fire, hell, what's to come on the day of judgment is is. God's most wrathful form of wrath. And, you know, I, Jesus describes it as weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, I, we know no pain. We know no suffering as that, as, as such as that. The only person that has ever lived that knows what that is like is Jesus because he took that for us on the cross. And he understands what it's like to be separated from God fully for a short time. 
which is the worst part of what hell will be. And I think a lot of people stray away. There's a lot of people that don't preach hell at all because they don't believe in it. That's that's not necessarily what I'm referring to. There's a lot of people that feel like talking about hell is fear is is fearing people into believing like manipulative manipulative but honestly the more i read the scriptures specifically the gospels and the more i see jesus bring it up the hard hearts of some the reality of what hell is is required in order for them to realize the seriousness of what they're doing. These Pharisees had no idea. They thought they were in the right. Yeah. And he begins talking about the reality of people that live their life the way the Pharisees were is agonizing. And they're going to realize, I should have lived a life better for myself. I should have lived a life better for my family the people around me but now my time is my time is up and you can almost see that he's still not completely getting it because he's not asking for himself to go back he's send the servant Lazarus to go do these things send your servant Lazarus to bring me water it's, there's still this <laughs> sense of he deserves better, even though people he, should be serving him. Yeah, and I'm, I I giggle a little bit, but really it's sad. It's it's sad, and what's interesting is the other thing we realize is we hear again and again, one day every knee shall bow. Well. Lazarus here is beginning to bow as he realizes I didn't live how I was supposed to live. The rich man, not Lazarus. That's Yeah, I apologize. The rich man is beginning to, to bow as he realizes he didn't live the life he, life he should have. And, and Jacob brought up how the Pharisees later see the resurrection of Lazarus, but they also see and hear of Christ's resurrection. And, you know, it's pointed out, they won't repent. Well, guess what? The Pharisees not only didn't repent, but they tried to cover it up. They tried to cover up the fact that Jesus is resurrected. Their hearts were so hard that even when Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, came back from the dead... They could not admit to themselves that he was the Christ. They tried to cover it up, and you can find that in Matthew chapter 28. It honestly bewilders me, but I, can, I, can, I can't sit here and say that I wouldn't have been the same way if I lived back then. I am, am thankful that I live now and have the gospel. And, and can be saved through that. The eternal consequence of the way that we live is judgment and wrath, the wrath of God. That is the eternal consequence if we live poorly. But if we store up for eternal things our eternal consequences, a life with him. And we see that the rich man wants to, wants Lazarus to go back and, and talk to his brothers, his family. What I want all of us to realize along with that is a lesson as well from this is that we must be about evangelism. We kind of talked about that with the last one. You know, 
with the with the last account that we spoke of. But we must be about not just storing up eternal things for ourselves, but doing so by sharing those sharing the gospel message with other people so that they can store up eternal things for for themselves. Um, we must announce the good news and warn about the reality of hell. If we're not doing that, we are failing to meet God's expectations. We're failing to we're failing to bear fruit. I mean the, the gospel does not work. If we take hell away, there's no if, there's no point in it. If there's no hell, then we really empty the cross of its power. If if God God has no wrath, then then Jesus died for nothing. We 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 can't we can't be saved if we don't first understand that we're lost. And let me emphasize: it isn't just God is angry and has all this wrath that's pent up because he just gets to be mad. No, his wrath comes from him being just and righteous. He is perfect in all ways, and he is perfectly just. And so what he, what, what he deems righteous is right, and what he deems unrighteous is wrong. And for us to take hell away is to take away God's justice. It's to it's to eliminate a whole character trait of God, which, by the way, we are supposed to resemble him in, in being just ourselves. Um, you know, we, we need to make sure that we're not taking away, uh, taking away a very character trait a part of his nature yeah. by taking away hell out of the gospel. Is it harsh? Um, maybe. It's true. So I, I don't... Think you, I think people can definitely <laughs> make it a lot more harsh. Maybe not than it is, but... I mean, you can go up to someone and just say, you need to repent or you're going to burn for all of eternity kind of a thing. And, you know, I think a lot of street preachers get... Uh, criticized for doing that, and a lot of them do do it that way. And you know, we're saying to to not leave out hell in the gospel. We're not saying you need to <laughs> to go up to your lost family members and just, you know, I don't want to see you burn for all of eternity. So you need to <laughs> come to Christ. Maybe that's not the best way to go about it. But at some point in that conversation, they need to to understand that there is a lot on the line here. Yeah. The reality of the of hell is not harsh. The way you approach sharing it with people, you know, consider that. But the reality of hell is not harsh, and it is an it is an essential part of the gospel message. Um, and it's essential part of the power of the cross, as Jacob mentioned. You have anything else on that on that account? Definitely a lot to think on and ponder about. And, I mean, like I said earlier, if all we do is thinking and pondering and nothing ever changes, then our thinking and pondering is a a waste and useless. So I've definitely got some things to think about, but also some things to be intentional about as I reflect on this chapter some more. So, Yeah, I think (laughs) there's probably other stuff that we could have talked about or focused on, but I... Uh, those were the things that we really wanted to to share with you guys and, and really think about for ourselves and try to apply to our own hearts and lives as we you know think of this idea of life investment where is our life invested in things of earth in things of earthly treasure for you know maybe 10 20 15 years down the line or are we storing up things for are we storing up eternal things are we investing in Jesus and God so that our eternity is spent with him thank you all for listening 
leave a comment, share, share with other people, like, subscribe, um, follow, you know, any of those things. We suggest (laughs) that you invest your life in God, in Jesus, in eternal things. And one of the major ways we do that, the, the way we do that is by bearing fruit. So go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples.